Hello, everyone. I am beyond thrilled today to host Dr. Anthony Chafee, world-renowned speaker, YouTuber, and Australian-based carnivore. With a deep penchant for healing and transforming lives, Dr. Chafee literally performs brain surgery as a practicing neurosurgeon by day and advocates for a healthy carnivore lifestyle as a podcaster by night. Prior to medical school and podcasting as an elite athlete, Dr. Chafee played rugby for over 10 years, All-American for University of Washington, and then professionally in England, United States, and in Canada. So athlete, surgeon, podcaster, speaker, all come together as Dr. Anthony Chafee focuses on optimizing performance and health as the plant-free MD. You are not going to want to miss this episode. I promise it will be amazing and mind-blowing. All right, let's get to it. Hello and welcome everyone. This is Charging Up Leadership. I am your host, Heidi Fry, and this podcast is all about energizing you from the inside out with a mission of inspiring leaders to plug in, light up, and just be. Welcome, Dr. Anthony Chafee. I am super excited to have you here this morning. Fantastic. Well, you just got off a consult, right? Mm, yes, yeah, yeah, so it's uh, 8.30 at night for me. But yeah, no, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. So I would love to dive in. If you're ready, I'm ready. Uh, let's do this. Absolutely. So yeah, absolutely. I would like to start at the beginning. So I'm, mm-hmm. I, I always like the drama, right? So I'm picturing you sitting in an oncology class, right? In medical mm-hmm. school, you're sitting there with your buds, you're listening intently. And this guy, was he a physician, by the way? So this was actually my, my undergraduate degree and it was a cancer, a class of cancer oh. biology. It was like oh. a 400 level biology class. And okay. I was mostly interested in going to medical school. I was pre-med and I was at the university of Washington at the time. And, and I just thought it was a cool sounding class. So I wanted to know more about cancer biology. And so I, I went and took that class and that was sort of a, you know, a culminating moment for me, certainly a, a major a major moment in my life, I'd already set the stage. So I'd already taken biology and botany and I knew about plant toxins and how, how that, that's how they defend themselves. Yeah. This is why the vast majority of plants are inedible. Um, but then it didn't really sink in that, well, maybe the other plants that, that we, you know, have something to say for themselves as well. And the fact that plants and animals are an evolutionary arms race plants becoming more and more poisonous, so less and less animals can eat them so they can survive and thrive. And that's why they're not extinct. And then animals become more and more adapted to specific poisons in specific plants so they can eat that plant specifically and survive and thrive. And that's their evolutionary niche. And you learn all this, and then you immediately go home and get told to eat your vegetables. And you (laughs) completely disconnect. And you don't even think, oh yes, that applies to me. This is a real world piece of information that I learned and should be applied. And no one does. It's this, this, this whole separate universe. Oh, that's in a book. You know, that's that's it's fiction. And um, or that that applies to other people. That's something that happens, you know, to somebody else. But we were learning this from a cancer perspective. So we went back over the fact that plants have these defense chemicals, wow. and also learned that some of these defense chemicals can cause harm, metabolic disruption, cellular distress, and that can eventually precipitate 
into cancer. So it's a carcinogen long before anything becomes cancer, or even if it never becomes cancer, it's causing damage and metabolic harm and distress and cellular dysfunction. People can right. smoke for 50 years and not get cancer. Does that mean that they escape scot-free? No, of course not. They have a lot of damage. So these potential carcinogens are causing harm the whole time. And that's important, yeah. but looking at it just from a cancer perspective. And so we were looking at numbers of carcinogens. And mm -hmm. so we learned Brussels sprouts alone had 136 carcinogens back in 2000. Wait, I'm wait, sure wait, there's Brussels sprouts, mm -hmm. just Brussels sprouts have how many? Well, in 2000 or thereabouts, it was 2000, 2001. Um, I forget the exact year that I was in that class. Uh, 136 individual carcinogens. Oh my gosh. Oh my That's gosh. What we yeah. Well, and, and so go ahead. I'm sorry. Continue. Oh, no, I was just going to say, you know, other plants are, are the same. So, you know, mushrooms would have over a hundred, but all the other vegetables, fruits and vegetables and produce items that we would eat on a, on a regular basis as a mainstay. Of, of our diet, like spinach and broccoli and kale and all these other sorts of things, celery, mm -hmm. they all have dozens and dozens, if not over a hundred as well. So this was, this was commonality. This wasn't an exception. Hmm. Hmm. So your mind was blown as your, mm. your, you, well, in the specific sentence you heard your professor say was, yeah. Well, that was the thing. So we were all, we were all very taken aback by that. We're all very shocked. And you went to other information about, you know, showing how much there was there and how toxic it was and all that sort of stuff. And so we were just absolutely gobsmacked. And, and I remember we were all just looking around wildly right. to see right. who was the joke and, you know, looking for like a TA sitting in the corner laughing. Oh, he always does this. You know, <laughs> no. And, and eventually we all sort of settled down and realized, okay, this guy is serious. And I remember thinking inside my head, well, but but vegetables are still good for you though, right? And I feel like he read my mind because no one said anything, but he just looked at all of us. Mm -hmm. and he just said, I don't eat salad. I don't eat vegetables. I don't let my kids eat vegetables. Plants are trying to kill you. And I was like, right. No more plants. And I went to the grocery store after class and I, I was just in, in a daze. And I was just walking around going like, but everything's plants. There's plants everywhere. There's, everything has plants in it. And I came across some eggs. So I was, I was like, what the hell do I eat? I was like, eggs, okay. <laughs> plants. Right. And eggs. And I, I went by the meat aisle. It was, you know, the only place I ever wanted to shop anyway. And mm -hmm. I was like, okay, meat, meat. I can get some meat. And I just got eggs and meat. And that was it. And that's what I ate for three years. And I've never felt better in my entire life, except for right now when I'm doing it again. Mm -hmm. So I was playing high level rugby. I was in college. I was working. I was in class from the morning until 3 p.m. I was in training from 3 p.m. 3.30 to 10 p.m. basically every day. Right. And then have games on the weekends, anywhere from three to four games a weekend. I just want, I just love playing. So I just want to play as many games as I could possibly get in. Sure. And so I played for University of Washington. I played for Seattle Saracen. I played in the seconds that I played for, for both teams. So, you know, I would, um, I just love to play. And so I was getting a lot of, a lot of action. I was getting a lot of playing time and I was uh, working out a lot and I just felt amazing. And the more I did, the better I felt and the better I, and the more I could do. 
And I, I literally felt like a different breed of human. I felt and in a lot of ways I was because my body was working in ways that other people simply weren't. Mm-hmm. And so I remember when I was, when I was uh, 25, I was playing uh, professionally in England rugby and, and I sort of slipped off and some of the, the bread, the, the, the meat was breaded or had some little crumbs on it. Yeah. And you know, the meat, I had a bit of a difficult time with the meat in, in England. I don't, I don't know what was going on. I got the impression that some of the meat that I was getting was sort of injected with water because I could not get it to brown. It would just turn gray and it would just cook right through gray and never go brown. It was just sort of sweaty and water was coming out of it. So I was just really annoyed by that. And so it's so gross. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was totally gross. And so this is like the only thing that I like eating, the only thing that I do eat. And now all of a sudden I'm it's just tasting horrible. And so I ended up getting ready-made things. And like some of the chickens just sometimes were just crumbed. Yeah. And so I say, well, is this really that bad? Dose makes the poison. All the same arguments right now that mm-hmm. vegans are making or whatever. It's like, well, dose makes the poison. It's probably not all that bad. Well, I made that same argument to myself. And it was silly that it's silly now because mm-hmm. just having some, some crumbed chicken a couple times a week, not even every day. Within a couple of months, I was I was sore, I was achy, I was getting tired. And I was like, why don't I feel as just superhuman amazing as I normally do? Am I pushing myself? Am I not working as hard? Am I I'm 25 now? Is that I'm just over the hill? I'm just dying now. My body's just decaying. And I didn't know what it was, but you look back, that's what it was. That was the difference. And the main difference was that I started slipping off of the diet. I started, instead of looking at all plants saying, absolutely not, I'm not touching that. I started thinking, well, you know, that's not all that bad. Okay. And it just, things are slipping in, slipping in without me even realizing it. And then, you know, fairly soon I was back eating just a a pretty normal home cooked meat heavy diet felt dramatically different. I was just a different person. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until six years ago that I figured that out and went, no, humans actually are carnivores. This is the kind of animal that we are. That's our biological design. And that's how I was eating. And that's why I felt so amazing was because I was eating what we're supposed to eat. And lions are going to feel better eating gazelle. And zebras are going to be better eating grass. Whales are going to feel better eating whatever that specific species of whale eats. So we are going to feel better and optimized by eating our optimal diet. And I was like, right, I knew it. I knew plants were trying to kill me, get rid of these stupid things. And at 38, I went back on a carnivore diet. And within two weeks, I felt, I I just felt superhuman. It was just, it was absolutely, it was night and day how I felt. Eight years old, I now felt like I was 22. I was overweight. I was out of shape. I had just come back from doing humanitarian work in Bangladesh, uh, working in the refugee camps there with with the Rohingya refugees from Burma. And I had not played a full season of rugby in three years. I was completely out of shape. And (laughs) felt horrible at the yeah. time. And then two weeks on a carnivore diet. And I felt like I was 22 again. I lost 23 pounds in 10 days. Oh and all the out of my body. Yeah. It was, in, it is insane. Well, inflammation, right? Well, there's inflammation, there's water weight, but there's also fat. And the thing is, is that, you know, it's not just carbohydrates that can derange our, our hormonal uh, signals. So I was already not eating carbohydrates because I just noticed it gave me a lot of back pain. Mm-hmm. And so okay, I'm just not going to eat carbs. And so I was just eating greens and lean meat and I was limiting it. And so just dropping the greens, just eating spinach, kale, broccoli yeah. and of it 
and then very limited amounts of, of meat, lean meat, feeling horrible, always hungry, didn't feel, didn't feel like I could, you know, perform or work out well. Didn't feel ready to go back to rugby. And then I just dropped the greens and I started massively increasing the amount of meat I was eating, just eating until I was full, eating as much as my body told me to Mm -hmm. of fatty, high fat ribeye. And sometimes I'd melt butter into it. And and I felt great. Mm -hmm. And eating five times the amount of calories as I was before, I lost 23 pounds in 10 days. And I just, you know, completely transformed uh, my body. And, And all of a sudden in two weeks, I'm still out of shape. I'm still overweight. But I felt amazing. I'm like, right, time to go play some rugby. And I felt great. And I felt like I was 22. I could go as hard as I wanted to. Yep. And I wouldn't run out of gas. I could push myself and push myself and push myself. My body kept giving me more, even though I was out of shape. And so I felt amazing. And so I kept up with with everybody who had been been there training the whole season that I was gone. Yeah. And then, uh, just felt felt fantastic. And and um, you know, even when we did. Uh, what's called a modified bleep test, which is like a fitness test. I ended up coming in sort of top, top, you know, five or so, five or 10 out of 92 people who had all been working their ass off and were half my age. And like, it was, it was not, a. I didn't actually even like push myself that hard. Like I could have really tried to kill myself yeah. and gotten that, but I was just like, this is good. This is fine. Yeah. So it was amazing. It's absolutely amazing what it does to you. Just simple dietary changes. And people yeah. ask me, you know, during the lockdowns and everything, how do you work out? How do you stay in such good shape? I'm like, I've done push-ups twice in the last three months. Mm. You know, oh, whatever, you're lying. But it's like, no, this is, this is 100% diet. This is just what your body is supposed to do and what it's supposed to look like. Right. If, or if you're eating what it's supposed to eat, just like animals in the zoo, eating their natural diet, they live in a box the size of a room. And that's the definition of a sedentary lifestyle. Yet they're not fat, they're not out of shape, they're ripped, they look like they're on steroids because <laughs> they're supposed to eat. And so this is what a human in captivity looks like. You know, if I work out, I get in better shape. Mm-hmm. But if I don't work, I never get out of shape, if that makes sense. This is this is as bad as it gets. Yeah. And, you know, I'm okay with that. <laughs> and, um, but it's also nice. So know, bad, so to- good. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I did hear Al on an interview and she said, um, he never, he doesn't work out that much. And I was like, oh, yeah. she must not see him work out. That's, that's all it is. <laughs> so it makes yeah, sense. Well, that is well, super interesting. Cause I, I think I told you, I, I mean, I got rid of migraines myself. I got off all the drugs, which was awesome. I mean, when I was in my teens, I had three spinal taps, a pneumoencephalogram. I had angiograms. It was crazy. And then they said, well, we don't know what it is. So go see a psychiatrist. Right. Mm. Put me on. Mm. Yeah. And put me on all kinds of drugs. And, uh, when I was 21 or 22, I read an awesome book called control your migraine. It was a doctor who had, um, migraines himself and an MD and he advocated for food change. Now he was talking about nitrates and preservatives, but that's when I started cleaning up my, you know, my intake. However, I would always go back to greens because they were, you know, healthy. So greens, everyone knows I eat greens and I eat protein. And uh, it wasn't until your show a couple weeks ago, Sally um, Norton was on your show and you were talking to her about oxalates. I almost Mm -hmm. fell over it was this amazing 
puzzle piece moment and I'm back on carnivore. So Yay. yeah, yeah, it's craziness. So how are the, how are the I'm sorry. How are the headaches? Oh, I, I got rid of those quite a few years ago. Yeah. From yeah. cleaning up the diet. Yeah. But then it was just, I felt better. And, you know, like I don't yeah. drink anymore. I haven't for years because those triggered headaches. And then it was like, yeah, mm -hmm. do I really want to feel like crap in the morning? Nah. Yeah. You know, so I just stay off everything. So really not a big deal. Well, that is, I can only imagine what a life changing mom that was in that class. And so mm. I, on this podcast, I talk about inspired action. I talk about, you know, people who are leaders of themselves and do what they need to do to be the best version of themselves. And you embody that. So I, you know, I've been a fan, you know, not a, a super long time. Uh, but once I, once I clicked in, uh, I was all in. So it's been really super interesting, you know, to, to listen to your, to your story. Okay. So I have a couple of questions um, specifically about protein. Like right now, uh, I have heard people say, I can't find protein. I can't find whey protein. I can't find, they're finding more and more plant-based junk. So do you have a thought on that? Well, I mean, if, you, if you're eating a proper diet, especially a carnivore diet, you don't, you don't need to take protein supplements. You'll, you'll get a ton of protein. And not only that, will you get a lot of protein, you'll get the amount of protein that your body's asking you for. If you eat fatty meat until it stops tasting good, if you listen to your body's signals and you're taking in the amount of food and the quality of food and the character of food that your body's asking you for. Mm -hmm. So the amounts of protein and fat for your body, your body will tell you, will, will tell, take the exact amount that it needs. I, I, I see this in, in the plant, in the animal world, in any other, other animal, they, they eat to their body's design and to their nature and it and it just works nature right. has to work on its own right they, they, you know we didn't get placed here with a bunch of uh you, you know um you know pts and uh you know, you know personal trainers and things like that and you know and people with you know they took two nutrition classes at at, uh, at college and then said like oh this is what you have to do right had to work you had to be able to, to listen to your signals and listen to your body and eat until it's until something triggered you to say, I don't want to eat anymore. You know, lions eat, but they eat a specific amount. They don't just gorge themselves into their fat rolling around and just puking. Mm -hmm. King lion as much as King Lion wants. Mm -hmm. And no one gets to touch that kill until he he finishes uh what he wants. So it's called the lion's share. He eats as much as he wants of what he wants. And so they generally go for the fattiest part, like the stomach and the, uh, you know, fat around the organs and things like that. So that's what they go for. And at some point before he's just laying there, just, uh, just drooling and vomiting, uh, he just goes, yep, yeah, that's enough. I don't want to eat anymore. And he stops. And then the rest of the lines get to come in. So we should have that same signal. Cows know at some point to just stop and then to use the cud. You get these signals. If, if we didn't have these signals, we would not be here. We would not have survived. We would not have made it to the point of being able to develop the technology to then study this biochemically and then talk about it and get it all wrong. Right. Right. So you should have natural instinctual tells in your body. And what I think that is, is taste. And so taste better 
the hungrier you are. And that's something that's been said for hundreds of years, the most, the best spice is hunger. And so if you're eating and you're hungry, it will taste good. You'll get, you know, a metaphorical pat on the head for bringing in something good. And if I say, oh, yes, we want that, eat that, contrast that with vegetables or, you know, other sorts of things, coffee, how bitter that is. That's your brain saying, no, 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 there's something bad in there. We don't want that, spit that out. So sugar is a bit of an outlier, but sugar is a drug. Sugar is addictive. And if the plant uses it to get you addicted, so you'll move its seeds. And it's also, we recognize it as safe. So it's not going to kill us that day. It was a quick hit. So that's an outlier on something that tastes, but if it tastes bad, then you can, you can pretty much trust that there's something bad in there. So if you're eating good for you, it's also going to taste good. You're going to get a pat on the head. It's going to, it's going to give you a good response, but it actually has negative feedback. So every bite that you take is slightly less good, slightly less tasty until the point that it doesn't taste good anymore. And she'll notice you get the same big steak or a piece of meat and it's delicious at first and you keep going. It's delicious, delicious, amazing. It's good. It's all right. It's okay. And you get to a point where you're just like, I'm really not enjoying this. I just sort of want to stop and you just stop. So that's how it should be. And if you're doing that, you'll get enough protein. Um, you might have to eat more than once a day. Just, just listen to your body. If for some reason you don't trust your body, you don't trust, uh, you know, your trillions of cells working in harmony and biochemistry, micromanaging every single little physiological mechanism in your body. If you don't trust that fine, um, you can try and get protein powders that just don't have the rest of the crap. There are a few brands out there. They're mm-hmm. just whey protein. Or just beef isolate right, and right. don't have anything. definitely not get anything with any flavors or any artificial sweeteners or any normal sweeteners, just pure mm-hmm. animal based protein. But again, you really don't need it if you're eating uh, naturally. So I just want to make sure in, in, case, in case we're not clear, you mm-hmm. only eat meat. That's I mean, correct. meat, eggs. I mean, you are... Yeah, I think I think eggs are honorary meat. You know, it's all the it's all the nutrients that are later going to turn into meat. You know, so it's uh, it's you know it's it's right up there. So if anyone's curious, you have I saw a YouTube uh, video of yours maybe two days ago about your Costco run and your refrigerator <laughs> stash, and yeah. I I was just and then you know you cutting up the meat. Oh my gosh, it was hilarious. So uh, the, so yeah, you're only eating meat. Well, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a little thing. I'm thinking um, maybe you could bust. 10 myths in 10 minutes. What do you think? Sure. Let's give it a go. So um, often when I'm looking up myths and so on and so forth, people will say, uh, you know, they'll they'll give the myth and then say, this isn't true. They won't explain why. They won't give us any logic behind it, right? They just say, don't, this isn't true. So just last week I had a client here in my office and he, um, I, I mentioned beef and he said, well, what about the methane problem? That's forty percent. And I was like, no, 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 stop. We're we're gonna we're gonna do this. So, all right, ready? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Ten myths in ten minutes. Uh, so the first one, myth number one: human beings are obviously omnivore. Omnivores. I literally read that. Uh, eating mm-hmm. food of both plant and animal origin. Are we omnivores? 
Uh, well, it depends on how you define it. If you if the definition of an omnivore is you could eat plants, then that means that lions and and hyenas and jackals are omnivores as well because they could eat these things. Lions and and cats can get up to sixty percent of their calories uh, from carbohydrates. That doesn't mean that they're that they're omnivores. They're actually obligate carnivores. So I think that a better definition is what are you optimized by eating? Mm-hmm. Are we optimized? And so an optimal omnivore would be optimized by one of two things, either being optimized by eating either meat or plants or optimized by having a combination of, of the two and having to have the two. We don't fit into any category. We are not optimized when we eat plants. We're actually detracted from when we eat plants. We can eat them to survive, but that and that's good, right? Survival is optimal, but that's not optimal for our health and development. And so there is nothing in plants that we need that we cannot get from meat, but there are many things in meat that we have to have that we cannot get from plants. So that's complete nutrition is fatty meat. You don't need any plants. So we are optimized by eating meat. And so it really just depends on how you, how you define your terms. You know, we could, we could get essential nutrients like copper and iron and magnesium and zinc from eating dirt, Right. That doesn't mean that we're dirtivores, right? And we can get calories that you have to have. You die without them from right. drinking Coca-Cola. So can we eat dirt and drink Coke and that's food to us? No, food is species specific. Food belongs to the species. So food to a lion is different than food to a giraffe or a gazelle or other species. So we have a specific species specific diet and we need to recognize what that is biologically and for us, we are optimized by meat. That's what we've been eating for millions of years. There's not a single vegetable or, or plant that we're eating now that even existed in the last ice age. Most likely, maybe they did, but it would be a, a distant remnant relative that we've then hybridized and bred from. We don't eat plants that even existed 50,000 years ago. So how could we have adapted to them? Fair, fair. Okay, thank you. Myth number two, fat makes you fat. Saturating fat, or saturated mm. fat clogs arteries go. That's a twofer. I know. know, know. That's okay. So, you know, uh, you know, putting on weight is, uh, has much more to do with hormones than anything else. You're eating, you're eating carbohydrates that raises insulin, insulin blocks, leptin, insulin forces energy into cells, doesn't allow it to come out of cells. Insulin is the fat storage hormone. Also a carb storage hormone and protein storage hormone is a storage hormone. You need it. You have to have it, but you have too much and you'll, you'll overstore things. And so, you know, this is where we have people with tumors that secrete too much insulin, they gain a lot of weight. They become very overweight and obese. And so, you know, we know that. So this is hormonal. So you can, you can eat the same amount of uh, calories, which is a very poor metric, but, you know, let's use it for now. And you can eat, um, you know, 2000 calories of, uh, of a normal diet with carbs and rice or whatever. And you can eat, uh, you know, the same 2000 calories of a ketogenic diet and you will actually lose weight because hormonally you, your body is working different biochemically. And it's actually been shown that if you, if you just stop eating carbohydrates and your insulin levels go down, you will increase your basal metabolic rate by 350 kilocalories a day. You'll burn more calories throughout the day. And so, you know, that increases your metabolism when your insulin is down, your metabolism is up. So saturated fat does not do that. Saturated fat does not increase insulin. It does not cause that hormonal changes. Also something was pointed out by my, um, 
uh, someone who I, I quite admire, Dr. Uh, Michael Eads, at a conference that I, that we both spoke at in in San in San Diego a few months ago, um, symposium for metabolic health. He talked about a different way of looking at at uh, weight loss. Um, calories don't weigh anything. That's a that's a measure of of heat energy, right? So if you have a glass of water and it's room temperature, and then you heat it up, it doesn't weigh more. So it has more calories. Ooh, it weighs more. That's not how it works. We're not combustion engines. We're chemical factories. And what weighs anything matter, right? And so calories don't. Energy breaking bonds, you know, from ET, ATP, that does not weigh anything. The atoms weigh something. So how do you lose weight? Where does it go? Heat escapes? No, that's not, that doesn't weigh anything. Atoms leave your body, right? So would you want to avoid putting on weight? Don't put as so many atoms in your body. Well, fat has nine kilocalories per gram of fat. And protein and carbs have only four kilocalories per gram of fat. So really, it's more they, have, they have like 2.2 grams per nine calories. Right. So you have to take in over twice the amount of matter into your body to get the same amount of energy. Right. So what's a better way of reducing the amount of matter that you have in your body? Eat a lot of fat. Mm -hmm. And as saturated fat causing heart disease, it never did in the first place. That was that was a myth. That was a scapegoat that was put forward by the sugar companies that documented in the Journal of the American Medical Association in 2016 with actual internal memos from the sugar companies detailing how they paid off three Harvard professors to falsify data and publish fraudulent studies to make it appear as if cholesterol caused heart disease when it's more likely sugar. And there's a lot of studies showing a strong correlation between uh, sugar consumption and heart disease. One of those professors was named head of the USDA, and he was the one who authored and published the 1977 USDA declaration saying that sugar or that saturated fat and cholesterol cause heart disease. And this, this goes, Ansel Keys was one of these uh, bought and paid for uh, guys, not one of the ones from Harvard. He was from Minnesota. And, and but but the list goes on. There are many, many, many of these instances, and this is all documented and published in the peer-reviewed literature. So that was never a problem. Um, the Journal of the American College of Cardiology published a major paper in 2020 going through all the randomized control trials, meta-analyses, all the level one uh, evidence on saturated fat and heart disease, and they found no correlation at all between saturated fat consumption and heart and cardiovascular disease. In fact, they found an inverse relationship between saturated fat consumption and stroke rate. So the more saturated fat people ate in randomized controlled trials, the less strokes they had. The less saturated fat they ate, the more strokes they had. So this is this is a complete farce. We've been lied to and that's documented. We know this, that's a fact. That's a matter of historical record. This is not even up for debate anymore. Uh, why aren't we waking up? Well, a lot of people are, a lot of doctors are, a lot of cardiologists are, a lot of people are seeing this going like, wow, that was a huge con. Yeah. And um, there's so many examples of this. And we know this people, people are motivated to, to, you know, push forward their own narratives, their own ideologies and their own products. And so a lot of these things are coming from very, very wealthy corporations that have a vested interest in protecting their product. And they have trillions to play with. The sugar industry makes about $1.4 trillion a year. And the medical industry makes about one or two, well, doesn't make, but uh, we spend about $2.4 trillion just treating the ill effects of sugar consumption, not anything else. So this is a multi-trillion dollar operation. 
This is the entire federal budget of the United States. And they are going to fight tooth and nail uh, before course, they get of course. of course. Well, we'll come back to the topic, possibly. Let's keep going here. <laughs> there in carnivore, there are no health benefits. <laughs> I know. I literally oh saw that as a myth. I was like, that doesn't even make sense. I, I mean, I can even answer this to some degree. I, <laughs> I, I've heard dentists. I've heard, uh, there's the one gal, she calls herself carnivore doctor. She's, um, is she a mm, ophthalmologist yeah. or, and they talk about how they see disease being mm. reversed. I'm sure you've seen the same Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. You know, as, as Dr. Gary Fetke said, once you see it, you can't unsee it. You, you put someone on this diet and diabetes goes away. He, he was doing uh, diabetic foot amputations and all of a sudden he put them on this diet. All of a sudden they don't need an amputation anymore. They reverse their diabetes. They re reverse their vascular diseases, um, you know, replacing joints. And he says, okay, I'll, I'll replace your joint. I'll put you, I'll put you on the list for surgery in three months, but first you need to go on this diet to get ready for surgery. Two months later, they call and say, hey, doc, I, I don't think I need surgery anymore. My shoulder's fine. Whoa. And so, you know, Whoa. this, this, I, and autoimmune diseases, they just go away. Mm -hmm. Autoimmune, from what I can tell, happen from eating the wrong thing, causing leaky gut. Those things get those, these defense molecules and defense chemicals from plants uh, get into your body. Also, bacteria can now get into your body. Your body attacks these things, uh, makes antibodies towards them. And then people with molecular, you know, through molecular mimicry uh, with similar or, you know, antigens on their, on their cells, there's cross reaction. And we used to think that molecular mimicry used to sensitize you to your own body, but I don't think that's the case because when you stop eating these things, those antibodies go down and you can measure that. And I do in the clinic. And so I see people with autoimmune issues. You go on a carnivore diet, red meat and water works best for them because it's chicken and fish. They're not being fed what they're supposed to eat. Wild caught fish usually fine, but they do amazingly well. And that's actually in the literature as well for Crohn's disease. So people put on an elemental diet, which is just basic nutrients, nothing else is a better treatment for an acute flare-up of Crohn's than prednisone, which is a steroid that's a gold standard. So just not eating the wrong thing is a better treatment than steroids, okay? So that means the food is causing the disease. So of course, carnivore helps disease. Of course, carnivore improves health because you're eating what you're optimized to eat. You're not eating these things that cause harm. You're only eating the things that provide health. So of course it provides a, a benefit. That's insane. Well, I know that, but you know. Well, but the, the, I mean, this is this is pure denial. I mean, yeah. th that's the stage that we're getting that we're getting to with with the vegan crowd. Is it's pure denial. Mm -hmm. You know, uh uh no uh no uh that can't be. Well, look, dude, you're 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 really missing the boat here, and you're not paying attention. And at this point, it, it's willful. You know, you're you're not seeing millions of people around the world dramatically rearrange their health. Their health. Oh yeah, but oh, but people are hurting themselves. Name one. I literally, I've, I've I see people all the time. It's like, show me one person who has hurt themselves doing this. Yeah, you know, right, there are right, people that right. don't stick with it mm -hmm. because for one reason or another they do, they don't like it. But every single person that I've spoken to and tried to help with this, even there, there's teething issues. There's things that can come up. There's always work around. I have yet to find someone that I can that I can work with that that hasn't been able to do this and and meet with great success. I've yet to see anybody who could do that. So you know, people may give up and they may stop before you know they they resolve their problems. Right. But 
that doesn't mean that it caused any harm because like, and it certainly doesn't mean that on the aggregate, this is not helping people that that's insane. Well, and like I said, there's so many videos, YouTubes out there that, that declare yeah. otherwise. So this next one is kind of the other side of the same coin. Mm -hmm. Number four, um, nutritionally deficient is not healthy, right? Mm -hmm. So the nutri nutritionally de deficient part, um, mm -hmm. I saw, uh, who was it? it was one of your, uh, one of the people you talk about, it wasn't Saladino, it was, um, ah, I don't remember his name, but there was a chart showing the nutritional value. I'll let you speak to that. Okay. So, well, I mean, Judy Cho does a lot uh, on that, you know, showing all the different nutrients are in there. Dr. Baker does as well. Uh, Dr. Saladino does too. Um he actually just put out a, a, a podcast talking about all the different you know, beneficial, beneficial nutrients that only exist in meat and cannot get from plants. So I agree. Um, uh, a nutritionally deficient diet is, is bad, which is why you shouldn't be a vegan. Right? <laughs> you have to eat meat. Like there are essential nutrients that simply don't exist in plants and they never will. Mm -hmm. And so, well, unless you bioengineer them too, but you know, whatever. Um, even if you get all the nutrients you want, you get the bad with the good, you get all these defense chemicals. It's very easy. You know, the Inuit exist. Mm -hmm. They live in the North pole. So you have all these, these, these native populations like the native Australians, like the native Americans, the 1800s who were only eating bison. And they were, there was a study out in 2001 that showed that the native Americans in the 1800s uh, in the plains of America in the great plains, they were the tallest human beings on earth. Right. Now they are not so right now. They're now they're um, much shorter than that. So they have lost their height. And that that happened exactly at, at agriculture as well. 10,000 years ago uh, with with the fossil record. Right. You know, you immediately 10,000 years ago, the fossils lost five inches in height. Brains shrunk by 11 percent. And they had all these signs all throughout the body of, of malnutrition and damage wound healing. Exact same things happen to the Native Americans. That exact same things happen to the Native Australians. Um, but either way, they were just eating meat. There's plenty of records going back hundreds of years saying these guys just eat meat. This is crazy. People, oh yeah, but I bet they were doing this. And you can find anybody who says anything silly. And just because they knew uh, which plants they could eat if they were starving, because again, does that make us an omnivore just because we can survive on something? Right. No, it makes us a robust species that can weather famine much better. So that's a survival mechanism. That doesn't mean that's optimal. And so they knew which plants that they could eat medicinally or for survival purposes. But when they had meat, they just ate meat. Right. And, uh, but people will deny that and they'll claim whatever, but you can't do that with the Inuit because they live in the North Dam Pole and there are no plants up there. And they say, oh, well, they, they eat the stomach of the caribou. Most of them don't eat caribou. They eat polar bear, they eat seal, they eat whales, all of which are carnivores. Mm -hmm. It's actually there was there's a guy who actually I quite like and I have much respect for you know Dr. David Sinclair from Harvard about longevity but he's but he talks about um the carnivore diet he talks about oh we should be doing Mediterranean unfortunately he's just under the influence of Harvard which is pushed by you know Dr. Walter Willett who has strong ties with the Seventh-day Adventist Church who are religiously anti-meat and they are multi-trillionaires they own all the a lot of different multinational um, plant-based processed food companies. They founded Kellogg's, they founded Sanitarium Foods, they founded 20 other uh, cereal companies. And, and they push this whole plant-based narrative because they are religiously anti-meat. And so unfortunately, he's just sort of 
in that sphere of influence. And so you talk, well, you know, maybe carnivore gives you good health, but maybe just burns you out too quickly. And so do you really, do you want to be that? Do you want to be a lion just running out and, you know, just living 12 years and then dying? Or do you want to be a whale that lives this long, slow life? And someone please get a memo to him because I don't have his email and let him know that really every single whale on earth is a carnivore. <laughs> Great analogy. Yeah. Um, so the point is you design, you eat what you're designed to eat. You're going to live as long as you're designed to live. And we know that genetically humans are designed to live 120 years. Yeah. And if you eat what you're designed to eat. You should live 120 years. So right off the bat, I'm going to beat David Sinclair on the longevity tip. doesn't matter what, what pills and medications and genetic mm-hmm. variants decides to put on itself. I'm going to make it to 120, 130, yeah. just, just in the way I am. And if he's smart, he'll, he'll hop onto that and realize that, 120 is the baseline and all of his research can actually put us up from there. And that'd be great. But right now he's working on a 78 year baseline. Like he's, he's already 50 years short, right? So you can already, we have so much ground to gain just by eating optimally. You, you don't even need to go to the metformins and the, the uh, rapamycins and all these other sorts of things. You, you, you'll get another you know, 50 years of excellent health and you won't be sick leading up to the point of death at 78. So, um, yeah, I, I think I went on five tangents there, so I apologize. Okay. But- we probably handled some of the other myths in there. So yeah. we already talked about this one, which is myth number five, eating this way is unsustainable. I mean, you, you touched on it. Yeah. Well, again, you know, so again, they knew it, they wouldn't be alive. Go back to the ice ages. Yeah. There were plants available. What were the people eating when they crossed the land bridge from Asia to North America? There was nothing. Mm-hmm. And so. You know, if it's not sustainable, if you can't do it, if it's lacking any vitamins or minerals, they're all dead. You know, you can't just eke out survival in an ice age. Right. You either thrive or you go extinct. And we not only thrived, we became the most dominant species on earth that has ever lived mm-hmm. during the ice ages, right? We we span the globe during the ice ages. So you can't do that. Unless you are one, unless you are the dominant species, and that and that is exactly what we are. And you can't be the most dominant species unless you know when you're in a physical, you know, before the the technological revolution, you can't do that unless you are physically and intellectually dominant as well. And and so that's what we were eating. And so obviously we were thriving doing that. And is it sustainable? Of course it is, because we exist. We made it through the ice ages. In fact, we thrived, flourished, and dominated. All righty. Uh, number six, it will, mm-hmm. it's a twofer also. So you don't have to yeah. go into too much detail, but it will wreck your kidneys slash harm your thyroid. Those are two myths. I know, I know. But I don't know where they get the thyroid one from. That's just made up. But you know, the, the kidney one at least has a basis in, in uh, medical mythology uh, because that's, again, a myth. About si- I've noticed that you know, a good portion, maybe 60% of the things that, that I learned in medicine were just made up. Mm-hmm. They were best guesses. And I've seen this in real life. We're like, hey, we don't have a lot of information on this, but this is our best guess. Yeah. This is a guideline we would recommend because we don't really know where to go with this, mm-hmm. right? And, and the problem is, is that those guidelines, those recommendations, they get enshrined and then they get repeated and repeated and repeated and they end up in textbooks and people just start, oh yeah, this is what you do, right? right. What was it based on? It was based on a best guess. A lot of a lot of medicine is like that. Medicine is not a hard science. It's barely even a science. It barely even uses science. It's not a science. It's an art. <laughs> it's a profession. 
And and uh, and I wish it was a science, but you know, my father was a physicist at the Lawrence Livermore Radiation Laboratory. I know what science looks like. This ain't it. Um, and so it may use some scientific principles, mm-hmm. but it's an art. It is an application. Yeah. And so, you know, we need to remember that. And so many of these things are just best guesses. And that's what the kidney thing was. So it said, okay, well, you cleave off, if you're eating too much protein, that cleaves off a nitrogen group, that turns into ammonia, that turns into urea, and it's hard on your kidneys to, to get rid of that. That's an assumption. Mm. And it's not actually borne out by the studies. What the actual studies show that the more protein you ate actually improved your kidney function. So the more protein, the better for your kidneys. And also plants have a lot of nephrotoxic uh, chemicals such as oxalates, which you mentioned before. And so 75% of of kidney stones are calcium oxalate stones. So this this damages your kidney. Mm -hmm. And um, so avoiding those plants with those nephrotoxic drugs or nephrotoxic toxins and um, and eating more meat and more protein will actually improve kidney function. I've seen this. I've seen people with CKD4, so chronic kidney disease stage four, reverse that and, and wow. you know, get, um, normal kidney function back. This is happening all over the world. You know, this, you, all you, you go on any forum on, on a carnivore, you know, Facebook group or anything like that, search for kidney disease, things like that. You will see that everybody improving this, the thyroid thing. I've literally never even heard that. Um, may, the only loosely tenuous one is, is where like Dr. Saladino said that, um, I think it was him and other people that may have said this as well, but the being in ketosis for too long can, can uh, damage some of your, your thyroid uh, production. I've never seen that. I've never seen that in practice. I have a lot of, so I, I normally work in neurosurgery, but I also have a, a functional medicine practice because I like applying these sorts of things and, and, and you know, getting people better and, and preventing them from getting sick in the first place, that preventative medicine sort of aspect. And I have a number of patients with thyroid issues, Hashimoto's, Graves or just you know hypothyroid borderline hypothyroidism yeah. just because of their their life they all improve their thyroid function all of them I've never seen anyone with um, thyroid dysfunction from long term ketogenic diet sorry little friend popped up sorry. and uh, and uh, so I've never seen that in practice I've never seen it clinically I don't know how it would happen me- mechanistically. One thing I do know is that some people who have had some thyroid issue being on a long-term ketogenic diet, quite often they're the ones eating a lot of organs, tons of organs, uh, like liver. Well, liver has a lot of vitamin A, mm. vitamin A, say, so too high of vitamin A is, is well known and documented to cause uh, depression of your thyroid stimulating hormone and, and, and then bring about uh, hypothyroidism. Sure. So that's. And that's something that can happen if you're, if you're having too much, but you know, we have people that have been in ketosis, they, again, uh, you know, native populations that have, that have been around, um, you know, the, the ice ages, all these sorts of things. Hypothyroidism is, um, is very dangerous. It's life-threatening and if it goes low and congenital hypothyroidism is actually called cretinism. And this is a, this is a congenital developmental defect and growth deformity uh, that happens in kids has very specific facial deformities and uh, and causes short stature and mental retardation. So it's it's serious. And so if you if you have low thyroid, if mother has low thyroid, and if they're on a carnivore diet, I guess they're definitely going to have that. Their kids are all going to have cretinism. So that goes exactly one generation, and then everyone's dead. Because again, 
when you are in a, in a in a ice age and you only have meat to eat and you can't thrive you're going to die so if you have an entire generation that comes on because they're only eating eating meat so they all have thyroid disease they all have thyroid dysfunction all the all the women have thyroid dysfunction so all the kids are having cretinism they have an entire generation of kids with with severe physical and mental handicaps you're you're not making it past that that uh, that generation so uh, we know that can't exist because we exist yeah wow Okay. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to combine number seven and eight, cause seven, you really don't need to address. It causes colon okay. cancer. So like it's the no. same, just a different, different part of the body. Number eight, uh, you need to add fiber to poop and chronic constipation. No, it's actually fat that drives, that drives digestion. You have a limited capacity to absorb fat with your bile. And when you run out of bile, you have a spillover effect. So you say, well, you don't want to eat too much fat. There's no such thing. I don't think because you, you physically can't absorb it, right? So I think your body's making a random amount of bile to get a random amount of fat and you need to micromanage your own biochemistry and physiology. I don't believe that. I think that, that's um, wrong. So I think your body's making that specifically because it wants a specific amount of fat in return. And so when you, you spill over that, it's really, really hard for your body to absorb. Maybe about 10% gets absorbed, mostly MCTs. The rest of it goes out. And so that's what keeps your stool soft. And so if you're getting constipated because you're not eating enough fat, and this is why we had this large uprise in, in constipation in the 1980s, we said, stop eating fat. Everyone stopped eating fat. Right. Everyone got constipated. Right. Oh, you got to eat fiber. I mean, that came, I remember, I remember when that happened. I was a kid in California when, when I started seeing that on the TV, doctors recommend eating more fiber. <laughs> why is it that, you know, we didn't need fiber as a species before 1986, uh. you know? I mean, where, where did that come from? You know, we, if this was if this was a requirement, we would have figured that out a long time ago. Um, just from that that physical, like, oh, everyone's getting constipated. Well, you know, that should have been a problem previously, you know, uh, but it wasn't. And uh, and the colon cancer thing that's been that's been thoroughly debunked by a paper out of University of Washington uh, in Seattle last year, year before, uh, where they looked over like 800 different studies looking at, and they couldn't even find a correlation between meat or processed meat and, and especially not unprocessed red meat and colon cancer. That is, that is a complete myth um, that um, that different vegan proponents and Seventh-day Adventist members that were on the WHO um, cherry pick, you know, they had access to, you know, hundreds of studies and they, and they picked a couple dozen and it was the one that fit their narrative and had very weak associations. And there was, there was a gentleman on that panel that, that was against that. And he said, this was the hardest thing he ever had to do professionally because he saw them throw away hundreds of high level pieces of, of, of high level studies showing absolutely no correlation between meat, processed meat, and certainly not red meat and, and cancer of any form, colon or otherwise. And, and instead cherry pick these really poor, poorly made, poorly designed studies um, that had a very weak association. And, um, and then he said, Hey, you guys need to, you guys need to, um, uh, document your bias. You know, you're all vegans, vegetarians, and seventh day Adventists. You have a bias against me. You need to say that. And they refused. So, you know, this is what it is. It's a propaganda. It's a propaganda campaign. And we just need to understand that. Okay. All right. Uh, nine, by the way, we're really not good at the 10 minutes part. I know. So good at just all the information. So I, I'm cool. Um, well, I'm cool. I, I could just go, 
bullshit on each one. <laughs> exactly. And I'd be the same so thing as, as, same as everyone else. So that is why you're yeah. here. Okay, number nine, messes with the gut biome. Okay, so that that was really easy. The the microbiomes of the Inuit when they're eating their natural meat only diet has been found to be the healthiest microbiome on earth. Mm-hmm. My friend, Dr. Sean O'Maros from Minnesota, and he um, he's, he came to a carnivore from from another side. He, he studied visceral fat and studied over six thousand people doing MRIs and, and found that visceral fat was directly related to metabolic disease and that you could and it was metabolically active and you could actually reverse metabolic disease by eliminating visceral fat. He found the best way to do that was dietarily was a was a carnivore diet mm. and then exercise was with sprinting and high high intensity interval training and lifting weights and so um, and he looks at the microbiome as well. And he does a carnivore diet. So he came to a carnivore diet because that was the best thing to remove visceral fat. So that, that's why he, the direction he came from. And um, so he's been doing that for five years. He has some sort of fermented uh, things. That's the only thing. He'll only, the only plants he'll ever eat is, is fermented ones that have a bit of fermentation, have that back. And he eats it for the bacteria. Mm-hmm. And so he gets that as well. And so uh, he submitted his microbiome test as a carnivore the bit of ferments and you can do the same thing with fermented dairy, like yeah. live cold yogurt. Um, and he fat and he sent that in and he got actually got a call from like the president or CEO of the, of the company that he sent it into. And they said, you have the best microbiome we have ever tested in our histories in, in our company's history. What the hell do you do? Oh, so like, Oh my gosh. Up meeting. And so he's a carnivore. Right. And so, you know, your microbiome will be, based on what you're eating. So if you're, if you're, whatever you're eating, your microbiome is eating. And there are many dentists to show that your oral biome is, is yeah. much improved yeah. Yeah. from, from eating this way as well. And so, you know, you, you can, you can repopulate your gut biome. You take antibiotics, something like that, I think, you know, taking, having some fermented dairy or something, that's probably a good idea. Yeah. And, and so, you know, but once it's established, what you're eating will perpetuate it. You know, it was like prebiotics and probiotics. So the probiotics are the bacteria. Prebiotics feed those yeah. bacteria. Right? Well, meat does the same thing. And so this we know from the Inuits. Um, they just have the healthiest microbiome, and, and which stands to reason, if we're eating what we're designed to eat, our body should work the way it's designed to work. We should have the microbiome we're designed to work with. And we should be optimized from that standpoint as well. Amen. All right. Mm-hmm. Number 10, and one of my favorites. Kill cows are killing the planet and it's bad for the environment. Okay. Cows are the environment, right? I mean, there have been animals on, on the earth for how many hundreds of millions of years since, since why now are they a problem? Why is it right now that they're destroying the planet with their, their natural emissions? So if you had a, if you had a, you know, grazing, you know, herd or whatever, um, if you just, got rid of all the cows and just let that go back to nature and animals sort of replace or whatever. The animals that replaced it on that same piece of land would have the exact same emissions, mm. right? There, there are no more cows now than there were 200 years ago. Why are they causing a problem now? You know, we had, we had hundreds of millions of bison and hundreds of millions of more deer and antelope and all that sort of stuff throughout the great plains up until the 1800s when we slaughtered them completely in order to cut off the food supply of the Native Americans so that we could win the war. And that was what Buffalo Bill said in these campaigns. It's like, just kill all the bison that you see. Every bison killed is an Indian dead. And that's what they said, 
right? So this is what it was. So they, they wiped out all of these things. And what happened? You know, the middle of America went from being the most fertile piece of land on earth nearabouts to the Dust Bowl in the 1930s, right? And that's from farming. That's from agriculture, from crop agriculture. That destroys the planet. That's not natural. Cows are natural. Animals are natural. They're supposed to be there. In fact, when you remove animals from an area, they, they turn to deserts. You know, plants and animals evolved together. And animals have to eat these things down and graze these things down or else it actually destroys right. the ecology of the situation. Whereas if, you, if you're growing a specific crop, a monocrop, you necessarily have to destroy an entire ecosystem. You have to kill every plant and animal that's alive in that area. Just like in Borneo, they've destroyed 55% of the rainforest, killed all the orangutans and the snakes and the monkeys and the birds have all left and brought up palm seed oil crops, right? And and the vegans will say, will justify this and say, oh, well, that, that that's fine because yes, you kill all these trees and all these orangutans and all that sort of stuff, but you know, they, they just planted plants. So, you know, same thing. Same, same. No, it's not same, same. It's, it's, that's, that's not an ecosystem, right? You've destroyed the ecosystem. And in fact, the Dust Bowl in America was brought about by improper, well, by farming techniques. And so you, they were, were tilling, tilling the ground is really bad for the ground. You lose all this topsoil, rain comes down, wash it away, wind blows, blows it away. You're getting these massive dust storms, losing, um, losing, tons of topsoil and to the point that nothing could grow. So this was the dust bowl, right? And then we figured out that that was from, from uh, farming in these ways. That's now that's why you now have these curved scallop patterns instead of a road that's six miles long, mm-hmm. right? And so that's harder for the rain and wind to wash this stuff away, but it still does. We still lose 27.5 billion tons of topsoil every year due to our farming practices. That's an area the size of Kentucky every single year. That is a, that is a vanishing resource that only grows at about a centimeter for 500 years. So that is a very, very, very scarce resource. And it's becoming more scarce by the day. People estimate that I think it's like in 30 years or something like that, we're going to run out. We're not going to be able to, we have sort of like 50 more crop cycle uh, rotations and then that's it. Well, um, and I saw this quote and I, and I know you referred to this, you, you know, this quote already. Globally, cows and other livestock animals are responsible for about 40% of methane emissions, a potent, uh, a potent greenhouse gas. In digesting their high-fiber diet, cows emit methane as a byproduct, making them one of the least climate-friendly sources of food on the planet. And I heard you, <laughs> you're already laughing, I heard you talk about how those statistics were so, again, skewed or, uh, you know, they, they were taken out of context or not even so- correctly <laughs> measured. No, and it's it's very much taken out of context. And they say all the water that they use as well, all this stuff is green water. It's rain water that goes down into the ground and grows grass. They're like, well, it takes all this this grass to eat these for these cows to eat. Therefore, that takes that water to grow that cow. That's dumb. You're not piping in and irrigating massive fields, and that's what they're comparing it to. It's like, oh wow, it takes all this this water um, to to irrigate a cow. We're not irrigating cows. This is rain water, right? And so, and you know, the methane, like what, what is, what does methane come from? So the cows aren't necessarily really producing this. It's the bacteria in their gut that is breaking it down. So if that bacteria were on the fiber, uh, as it was breaking down, same amount of methane is going to be produced as well. So it's, um, it's a farce again. So, you know, the, the greenhouse gases that humans produce is, is less 
than what all the volcanoes emit every year. And that's less than all of the vegetation, vegetable matter, decaying leaves and all these downed trees and all this sort of stuff every year. And all of that combined is only 5% of the CO2 emissions that, that get kicked off every year. The rest come from the oceans because they heat up every hun couple hundred years. And as they heat up, they release more CO2, but it takes hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for them to heat up. So basically we're getting the heating from the medieval warm period. Now we're just starting to see the effects of that or, or thereabouts. But you know, there's professors from, from MIT and Harvard that go into this saying that you know, that this this is this is what's happening. This is from hundreds of years ago and hundreds of years of, of this coming up. We're coming out of the little ice age. Um, what's gonna happen when you come out of something called the little ice age? It's gonna unless you're going into the big ice age, you're gonna get warmer. So of course that's happening. And hundreds of years later, after the fact, the the ocean level uh temperature levels are rising and the CO2 is coming out. So we're, we're talking about a fraction of, a, of, of what's actually coming out. And you talk about methane. Okay, is that a potent greenhouse gas? According to whom? Because as Al Gore says, uh, CO2, if you don't take into uh, account um, uh, water vapor, accounts for as much as 30% of the greenhouse effect. So that sounds like a pretty potent Greenhouse gas, right? So methane is supposed to be more than that. I don't know exactly the figure. Is it 40, 50 percent? You know, everything else, 70 percent if you don't consider water vapor. Okay. Let's consider water vapor for a second. <laughs> water vapor accounts for 92 percent of the greenhouse effect. So you can't not consider water vapor, right? So methane is a potent greenhouse gas. How? I mean, what were we talking? Three percent, four percent of the total. Ninety-two percent is 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 water vapor. So this is these are scare tactics, and these are people. And this is part of the normal cycle. You know, animals eat fibrous plants. That's the whole point. We're being told to eat fibrous plants. Vegans make methane, right? You know, you eat fiber that gets into your gut. Your gut makes methane. Yeah. That happens. So, you know, it's it's not good if the cow does it, but it's, it's good if we all do it. There's well, and then on top of that, why aren't we talking about all the vehicles? Come on. Right? And, well, and again, all the vehicles, all the cows, everything that every human does, doesn't even account for the greenhouse emissions from the volcanoes every year that happen naturally. And those aren't even close <sighs> to the the decaying vegetable matter that will happen no matter what. And that's not even considering all the animals all around the world eating fibrous plants and, and, and producing methane. This is a normal process. That methane is part of the life cycle, the ecological cycle. It's supposed to happen. You're recycling nutrients. So those chemicals go into the atmosphere, they get decay, they turn into different things and they get back into the plants, they get back into nature. The animals eat plants down, they defecate and urinate and burp and breathe. And this is recycling all these nutrients. Plants need CO2. We need oxygen. They produce oxygen from CO2. We produce CO2 from oxygen. It's a quid pro quo. And so when you when you stop, when you start breaking that and you start messing with complex systems, you get very serious dire consequences. You know, it's, it's the law of unintended consequences. And, and, and that's what we're facing now. Again, you need to go back to nature. When you go back to our nature, eat what we're naturally designed to eat, 
And that's how we're going to be optimized. You try to let the planet run the way it's supposed to be. And that includes animals. You have them in rangeland, you know, going up and down in and out of different areas. They're regenerating the land. They're returning nutrients to the soil and they're helping the, the land and the ecology get better. When, when there were hundreds of millions of massive animals throughout the middle of America, it was again, one of the most fertile areas in the world. The topsoil was something like 20 feet deep. The grass was nine feet tall. They're explorers. Um, I don't know if it's exactly 20 feet deep, but you know, big, big, deep reserves of topsoil and, and the, uh, the explorers that went out West, uh, they were saying that the grass was so tall, they could tie it in knots over their horses' heads. There was this thing was like nine feet tall. Right. So, and this was with all these hundreds of millions of bison and, and large game that were going through because it was exactly because there were hundreds of millions of, of large animals, grazing animals, that they could support that, that they made the ground more healthy, they made the land more fertile and healthy, and that was able to support more plants, which made it able to support more animals, which helped the plants, which helped the animals, which helped the plants, which helped the animals, and it just kept going like that, doing hundreds of millions of these things. So, and they're being hunted all the time by a hundred million Native Americans before a plague wiped out 95% of them. But there was a full carnivorous civilization that was just eating buffalo and wild game. And they had a city in St. what is now St. Louis that, that uh, was estimated to be able to hold a million full-time residents, right? So this is a city based on not hunter-gatherer, hunter lifestyle. So not civilization, you didn't need crops. They just needed a, access to a lot of meat and they had access to a lot of meat. And so, and yet there were still hundreds of millions of these things. And that was able to support a hundred million Native Americans eating them. Yeah. So the idea that allowing the world to work exactly the way it's been working for hundreds of millions of years uh, is a bad thing. And this is destroying the planet all of a sudden, like you're, you're gonna have to tell me why. You're gonna have to tell me why Right now, animals are a problem and they've never been before. Well, I know right from the get-go, I loved your usage of the phrase um, uh, species-specific. And mm. it ties into what you just said. And that really caught my attention when I when I first heard you speak. So I, uh, I know personally, I didn't know why, but I know personally that I've benefited greatly over the years from what I call clean eating. And then people assume that means a vegetarian diet. And they're like, you don't mm -hmm. eat meat. Anymore. Are you kidding? I am like truly <laughs> a carnivore. And so I, I clean the bones, that's a clean diet. I have what, pardon me. I clean the bones. That's a clean <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and I, I guess then that's another question. How do you reconcile your role as a physician with the pill popping and as a neurosurgeon, do you prescribe? Do you talk to people about carnivore? Do you offer it as an alternative? I'm just curious. Cause that must be, yeah. that must, you must have so much like inner dialogue about that. Uh, so when, when it comes up and it's pertinent, um, I, I don't feel that it's ethical not to discuss it. So having a problem that I think that proper nutrition can help. And that, that does come up, you know, I do feel that it's, that it's important to do that. You know, my role in the hospital, that's not always, um, you know, possible. It's just, just through massive, massive, uh, time restrictions. And, 
and also I, 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 I don't want people to think that this is the department or the hospital recommending this, right. you know, so I don't want to come across as if this is a general recommendation from the hospital because it, there are my personal views. And so I say that, I say, listen, this is my own personal view, but I do think this is something that can help. Why don't, why don't you look at these resources and you do do some uh, looking into this and, and you can make your own decisions. Um, I That's why I like the uh, functional medicine practice that I also work in because I can, I can just go right into that. And yes, that's a major thing that I talk about with my patients. That's something that I've seen reverse ex- untold amount of diseases. I, I'm, I'm always being amazed at the different things that I'm, that I'm seeing or improved uh, from just eating a proper diet. And so, yes, I do use this. I absolutely use this as one of the, one of the mainstays. It was one of the strongest tools I've ever seen. Like I said, we have so much ground to gain just by eating optimally. We, we don't need all the tips and tricks and you know, medications are great, some of them, for, for certain situations and emergency situations, but most of them now treat these chronic diseases, chronic situations where they're just a Band-Aid and they're just covering up some sort of metabolic distress mm-hmm. like, you know, that, like insulin resistance. And so you're taking medications that lower insulin or increase insulin and lower insulin resistance and can overcome these, these metabolic dysfunctions that you have to do is eat right and they go away. So that's treating the underlying condition. And that's, and that's what doctors are supposed to do. And that's what most doctors want to do. And that's what they think they're doing. They just don't, until someone points it out to them, they don't realize that diabetes is not a metformin deficiency, right? Hypothyroidism is a thyroid deficiency. So that's something that you can, you can replace if you lose your thyroid due to cancer or something that's something you can replace, but you're not, or insulin, you lose the ability to make insulin. You can replace the insulin. So the idea is there, but then all of a sudden, yeah, you give this medication to treat that thing, but then we forget, like we're not treating a deficiency here. Our bodies just aren't able to make, not uh, able to make like metformin or something like that, or these blood pressure medications and things like that. Something's going wrong. Yeah. And this is a bandaid. And so, you know, I, I do use medications when and as they're, uh, you know, necessary and required. And, you know, yeah. in, in neurosurgery, it's, you know, antibiotics, you know, someone has an infection or you're covering them for surgery or, you know, pain relief, things like that. Those are the major ones. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously if someone comes in with medication, you sort of have to perpetuate that because they're in, in the hospital. And that's not always the best time to talk, you know, revamp their entire uh, life. But um, uh, no, I do try as much as possible to just use, people's own health and, and restore their own health so that you, you can actually come off medications as opposed to going on more. Yeah. I, I, I obviously from, from listening to you, I knew you were in that direction, but gosh, like what a, what a conundrum, right. To have mm-hmm. to uh, be in that world. And then have you ever heard of the, not to be in the world, but to have to advocate for that. Um, have you ever heard of the blood typing diet? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. See, and I, um, I'm a type O, so I always thought my love yeah. of meat was because I was a blood type O. But you're saying, you know, not not so much. Well, well I'm a positive, so apparently I'm supposed to be a vegan. Yeah. Right. So I mean, ask yourself this: does does a does a lion's blood type change what it's supposed to eat? What about a dolphin's or a zebra's or a giraffe or an emu? Mm-hmm. Probably not. Right. Probably not. Yeah. You know, you know, regardless of the blood type of a lion, you know, you could take every single lion on earth and you can feed them gazelle and asparagus 
you're not going to find a single line that does better on asparagus than gazelle. Right. And that, those lions are still lions. Humans are still humans. So if you, so the blood type is one protein or a couple of proteins on the surface of your red blood cells. Okay. And that's it. So you have, you have a one protein or two protein difference on your red blood cells. And that's supposed to fundamentally change you as a species. That's supposed to fundamentally change your digestion. Mm. Nutrients you need, what nutrients you don't need. If you're able to process fiber or not, if you're able to get everything you need from meat or if you get everything from, from plants, you know, um, it doesn't matter what blood type you are. You still need B12, right? So B12 doesn't exist in plants. And there are many other nutrients that don't exist in plants either that you have to get that only exist in meat. It doesn't matter what your blood type is. So that doesn't change your fundamental underlying nature. It doesn't change your species. If you have two animals, one is an herbivore and one is a carnivore, an obligate carnivore. Those are two different species. Right. Right. We're homo sapiens sapiens. We're all the same species. And while we may have slight differences on what we're able to tolerate, of suboptimal food, like people that have come from a background where their ancestors had okay. uh, agriculture. Me. I give up. <laughs> okay. Well, that's the thing. We're all humans right. and it's all the same. So, you know, just because you, you know, I do worse from lead exposure than you do, doesn't mean lead's good for you. It just means it's less right. bad. Yeah. Right. Maybe people that do, you know, better, like Europeans do better with, with, with a Western diet than, you know, native Australian, native Americans where we get far more sick from eating based diet, going off their, their meat-based diet. So that's because they haven't had exposure to agriculture for 10,000 years and had a slight, you know, 10,000 years is not that long, but it's a bit of time. And it's more than the native Americans, native Australians got something like Mesoamerica. They had it a bit. Uh, like an adaptation is what you're saying. Exactly. So we've had about 10,000 years to adapt. Native Americans, native Australians have not. And so we are, we, we can tolerate plant-based food better than, um, than native Americans and native Australians and other tribes that, that have only been eating meat. And, um, so that's, uh, you know, but that doesn't mean that, that that's optimal for us. It just means it's less bad for us. So the same thing with the, with the blood type diet, I, I have no idea if that confers, um, you know, I think the, the argument is, is that more that, that blood type A happened sort of after agriculture. And so people were better off with plants, but like, I mean, there are Europeans that have their ancestors are, um, you know, had came from agriculture and their blood type O like yourself, my mom's blood type O, my dad's blood type A. So, is, so is my mom supposed to be an herbivore? My dad's a carnivore and, or, or vice versa. And then like, and then we're, we're just depending on the blood types of our parents. No, it depends on the species, uh, that you are. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, I know that you have like 300 plus hours of content on YouTube. Yeah. Interviews and all of this information. Yeah. And so I highly, highly, highly recommend uh, people go out and, and at this point, at least have your curiosity uh, peaked or tickled and go out and, you know, learn more and figure out what, what works for you. And, I have to say, I remember, so I did try the blood typing diet. It's true. And with mm -hmm. my family. And I remember my son came to me, he was probably about 10, 10 at the time. And he said, you know, mom, this is the, of all the things we've ever done. I felt the best on this one. 
well, he was an O or he is an O I should say. So we were, mm. you know, eating a lot of, uh, upping his meat protein. So, eh, you know, who knows? That's good. Yeah. Well, um, well, so I the meat, yeah, I do know that meat is good for him. <laughs> right. He right. Did feel better. So, yeah, so it's, it's good. Um, you know, but I mean, you know, these things, obviously you got lucky, you guys are type O. So, um, you know, you just happen to fall upon what's actually good for you, which is good. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, and I've been introduced to so many amazing, uh, other, uh, people, speakers, carnivore advocates through your channel, like Kelly Hogan, Ken Berry, the mm. meat mafia, Sean Baker, you know, all these people. So thank you for opening all of that up to me and other people. And, um, how, how can people find you anything else you want to say? Uh, thank you so much for all the time you've donated to us today. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, well, you know, I, I have a YouTube channel. It's just my name, Anthony Chafee, MD. So C H A double F double E. So F is in Frank. And I, have a, my Instagram is the same. Um, TikTok, which is horrible is the same. And, um, and then I have a, a podcast just called the plant free MD and that's on, you know, Apple and Spotify and everything else. And, and, you know, I have other, and, and Twitter's Anthony underscore Chafee, things like that. So there, there are others, but those are the main ones and people can find uh, others through that. And uh, that's pretty much it. So if people want to watch my YouTube channel or listen to my podcast, uh, that's, that's where to get it. And that's where most of my content is. And I try, try to make everything available uh, for free for people because I, I'm not, this is, this is not my day job. I make way more money in my day job. And so this is, this is, this is, I do this because I think it's important. Um, and, and I, I, I want this to get out there because, you know, like Dr. Becky said, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And, and the amount of benefit uh, to people's lives that I've seen this give, I, I, I can't, I can't not spread this around. And it really bothers me that that this has been hidden from people and that people have, have been very responsibly ruining their lives and dying early and that their parents have had decades of ill health and an early death um, unnecessarily because they were listening to their doctor's advice. They were listening to the best advice. They were listening. They were doing what they were told to do and it cost them their lives. And that really bothers me. And the corruption infuriates me. And so we're we're not going to get at these guys. They're too well protected. They should be in jail. They should be in front of a of a of a you know whitewashed wall with a with a you know with a with a bandana and a cigarette. But that's not going to happen. And so what we need to do is we need to educate people and have them understand that this is a fraud and not to fall for it because they can only trick people if they don't know. And so that's why we need to get this out there. And that's why I want to get this out to as many people as possible. And that's why I try to grow, grow my channel and get this out there. Not because I'm, I'm, I don't have any supplements. Say, I don't care. Right, um, right. I, you don't need any of that stuff, right? You just, you just need to be healthy and eat meat. And I just want this to get out to as many people as possible so that they can take this and they can take back control of their lives so that they don't need doctors, that they don't need me uh, to come see me in the office and have me track their bloods and help them with their medical conditions that they don't, they don't need uh, surgeons and doctors and all these sorts of things that they can just be healthy. You know, I would really love it if we got back to old school medicine where we were dealing with basically five things, you know, childbirth and delivery, you know, pregnancy, childbirth and delivery, you know, infant sort of infections, diseases and, and you know, infectious diseases, uh, congenital and genetic abnormalities, 
traumas, injuries, and uh, poisonings, toxic exposure, right? Now we have this sixth category of chronic disease that never existed before the 20th century. Uh Now it's 92% of, of all the medical expenditures. So this is massive. And what I think that is, is actually that fifth thing, that toxic exposure thing. Right, right. We're being, we have toxic exposure of a species, species inappropriate diet mm-hmm. and lack of species specific nutrition, namely reading too many plants that were not evolved and adapted to eat and we're not eating enough meat, which is good for us. And so I want to get back to that. I want to get back to medicine of, of you know, the patient population of 150 years ago with all the modern advances in technologies, mm-hmm. right? We can do so much more. It's helped right. so many more people. We don't need as many doctors. We don't need as many hospitals. We don't need to spend so much money mm-hmm. on medical care because we won't be as sick. So that's what I want. And um, I'm hoping to get that you know, through this grassroots movement, talking to people like yourself and uh, and doing my podcast and and just doing the best I can to to educate as many people as possible. And it's great. And it, and it sort of has, it sort of takes a life of its own and, and you know, more and more people see it. They try it. They have amazing health results. They pass that on to other people. They influence those other people and say, I want to try that. I want to get a piece of that. And then they do it. They have amazing results. They influence people around them and, and you know, the chain reaction goes yeah. on. And yeah. that's yeah. sort of hitting that critical mass of people that are, that are really starting to go. So now mm-hmm. it's, a, it's known it's the carnivore diet. That was not a thing a few years ago. And uh, no one knew what the hell that was. Now it's a house. Now people at least know what it is at least know enough to talk trash about it, right? <laughs> right. If they're talking trash about it, they ha- they're talking about it, right? Yeah. They have to talk about it. Yeah. And uh, and that's because it's 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 known. And so that's the point. You know, it was a, an old saying, um, you know, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win, right? And so we're in the fighting stage right now. They're fighting us. They tried really killing us. They couldn't really do that. And... Um, and now they're sort of fighting us saying, you can't do this. You're awful. You're horrible. You're attack, attack, attack. So that's good. That's a very good sign that we're, we're gaining ground. And um, actually that was, you know, the, some of the food companies, um, the, there was a group that sued for some of the minutes of this, of this food company here in Australia, where they um, called low carb down under and they sued for these minutes and they, um, and they found that the sugar or that the you know, cereal companies and processed food companies uh, were actually really upset about the whole ketogenic diet movement. And they're like, this is costing us cereal sales. This is screwing us. We need to take this down. So who do we attack? Who do we focus on? And one of them was, was Dr. Gary Fetke. And they named him by name. They're like, we need to target this guy. We need to get him uh, uh, deregistered, take it, get his medical license taken away. And so they heavily fund and finance the Australian Dietetics Association. And so they put their little cronies to work and the head of the Australian Dietetics Association called the CEO of Dr. Fetke's hospital in Tasmania and said, you need to fire this guy. You need to take this guy down. You need to shut him up. Mm-hmm. And they tried. Wow. And they tried to get the license taken away for recommending a diet that was curing his patients. That's- it was... So scientifically and evidence-based mm. so they are fighting us because we're actually having an impact yeah. and so that's good 
And so that's a good sign. We just need to, we just need to fight back harder. We need to get more and more and more people. And, and when there's enough people that know about this, cats out of the bag, yeah. they're done. And so I think we're I think we're well on the way to that. And hopefully well, we do. It, very it is such a steep hill because we have been so ingrained about eat your vegetables. A yeah. And then uh, B, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> B, oh, I was going to say, you know, you didn't hear the intro, but what I said in the intro was you have a penchant for healing. And so whatever way you can do that, whether it's by day as a neurosurgeon or by night as a podcaster, you know, I, I see that as your end goal. And uh, I'm very appreciative of, because quite frankly, I guess I needed permission to just eat meat. I did. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> well, you're welcome. And, um, and encouraged to, you know, and if you want to eat other things, they're, they're more than welcome to. My main thing is just, is just letting people understand this is our biological design. And if you want to eat outside of that, that that's perfectly fine. I, I don't care if people smoke and drink. I just don't want them to smoke and drink because they think it's good for them. Right, 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 right. Being aware. Vegetables. Yeah, exactly. If you want to eat vegetables, if you want to eat corn and soy and all these sorts of things, that that's completely up to you. I, I, have, I have no grudge against you. I just want you to understand that meat has been improperly vilified. And that that plants are actually not as good as we get told they are from the people selling us right, the plants in the right, plant. Right. Well, I order I ordered Sally's book. I already read it, and the mm. pictures in there with the the little toothpicks that you know when the microscopic view uh, yeah. with the plant. Uh, I, I don't even know what I'm talking about here. The oxalate the, crystals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The the oxalate mm. crystals are in the plant stem and it's just, it's mind boggling mm. and how we can only process like a hundred to 250 uh, milligrams, I guess, uh, per day. Yeah. And yet a handful of spinach is 500 milligrams. So anyway, we could mm. be on here all day long. So I just want to thank you so much for your time today and you so delivered as I thought you would. You're a wealth of knowledge. You you have statistics left and right. And just truly an honor and a privilege to have you on here today. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure and it's lovely to meet you. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad it, I'm, I hope it went well. I hope people like it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, all right. Well, until the next time, have, have a great rest of the day. Thank you. You too. After I interview someone, I really like to do a debrief. It helps me process the information that I heard and the takeaways I had. And a couple of you have commented that they that you appreciate that as well. Well, I recorded a debrief after my interview with Dr. Anthony Chafee. However, a few things have happened since then. A, I went back through the interview uh, in the editing process and realized I missed all kinds of facts and figures. So that's one thing. The second thing is I still had some questions. So I reached out and asked a few of them uh, and got an email response. So I thought I would re-record this debrief and also let you know, I will put many links in the show notes. So go there if you would like more information. The first thing that I'll say is there's a video that I'm going to link in the show notes. And it was based on a talk Dr. Chafee gave uh, at a symposium. I think it was for metabolic health. And the title of it is uh, Dr. Anthony Chafee, Plants Are Trying to Kill You. 
Please go watch it. If your curiosity has been piqued at all, this is a 30 minute talk, super informative. And I, I just can't imagine you won't, it will make you stop and think. So why not challenge your thinking, right? So that's the first thing I wanna say. Secondly, let's go to the responses that he gave me via email. One, I was asking him about plants as medicine. And basically he came back with, yeah, plants are great as medicine. However, he does think it's a better option to use pharmaceutical isolated ingredients because you want a specific amount of something special. For instance, uh, digoxin, I think is the word, from the foxglove. And he says, you have no idea how much you're getting, if it's too much or too little, and it's coming with a whole host of other defense chemicals that can cause even more harm. Best thing to do is just take the exact dose of the medicine that you need without anything else coming along with it. So there you go. I was asking him about lab work and I assumed he got it done, not because he needed to, but because it helped the cause, it helped him explain how healthy he was because that's usually the issue people have with this kind of eating, right? So sure enough, he wrote that he very rarely uh, does labs, but he does it to appease other people. And he recently converted a friend of his who is an endocrinologist and a functional medicine doctor uh, for 40 years uh, because he was curious what Anthony's blood work looked like. So he said that if you took 100,000 people off of the street and took all of their blood samples, hormones, nutrient levels, etc., that his, Anthony's, would be the number one without, without a shadow of a doubt. So that's pretty cool uh, proof, validation, something like that. All right. Uh, the next question I asked him was regarding... <laughs> It was regarding entertaining, you know, with the holidays coming up, I just thought, gosh, how do you entertain when you're eating carnivore? So I wasn't sure if he entertained a lot. So anyway, I threw it out there and I was curious what he served and or accommodated uh, the guests, right? And he said, yes, I do entertain and it's always a steak night. I make better steaks than any restaurant I've ever been to and my friends and colleagues say the same thing. If they want to eat anything else, they are welcome to bring it, but I don't feed my guests poison. <laughs> when I read that, that literally made me laugh out loud. That was a good one. All right, and then the last question I asked him, I was kind of curious about his family because it's one thing when you do something, a certain protocol, but when the rest of the family gets on board, uh, I think it says something else. So I asked him about his extended family. His parents, are carnivore. Uh, his two brothers are carnivore and his two sisters are not necessarily carnivore, but they are absolutely certainly eating more meat than they had. His cousin and their family also eat more meat as well. And the cousin in particular dips in and out of keto and carnivore. So another cousin reversing autoimmune diseases by going carnivore as well. And I usually don't push this on family members. I just let them come to me if they have questions. 
about it and then I can help them as much as I can. So there you go. Okay, then a few of my takeaways or maybe not burning thoughts, but thoughts. Um, one is this idea of kilocalories and matter and how we've been in this calorie mindset for so long. And he talked about eating fat is actually more efficient for your body versus carbs. And that explanation was really new to me and I, I loved hearing it. That, that really made a lot of sense. So dig that. The second thing is the staggering statistic that he cited, which is, which is that currently, which wasn't the case years ago, currently our 92% of our medical expenditure is based on chronic disease. That is very troubling and gross. So I don't know, something's not working. So maybe we can think differently about food. Uh, you know, I mentioned in the podcast that I had had headaches and how I healed them by paying attention to food. I also have had, um, I have diabetes in my family and have had sugar issues myself, as well as thyroid issues, hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's. All that to say, those things go away. The need for medication goes away, the cleaner I am. And uh, for years and years and years, I have been doing heavy protein and greens and there was still something missing like the more greens i ate the more vegetables i ate the more vegetables i ate the more i started craving everything under the sun and i i'm constantly gaining weight even with that kind of a diet so going back to this really takes care of the sugar issues the thyroid issues and for sure takes care of the cravings and uh, stabilizes weight as well as kind of reduces it. So love, love, love that part of it. I'm not surprised by this, but I, I just can't believe more people don't know this. Like why isn't the cat out of the bag um, that the sugar companies in the past had paid off Harvard professors? You know, again, it's documented, it's published. And this idea of fat, that there's no correlation between saturated fat uh, and strokes. Matter of fact, there's an inverse proportion. He mentioned that higher fat reduced stroke, stroke rates. So higher fat, fewer strokes. That's kind of huge, especially, I don't know about you, but a lot of people right now are having issues. All right, uh, disease reversal in general, he threw out a challenge about, you know, checking out forums and seeing people talk about their disease reversal. I think it's there's merit there. Uh, thyroid I already talked about related to myself. Oh, the other thing is uh, not enough fat causing constipation and that it isn't a fiber issue. I think a lot of people eat vegetables and fruit because they want to avoid constipation. So if the fat is high enough and, and we've taken fat out of our diet, so then that makes sense that we need this other roughage to help us. So I'm rethinking it myself about adding fat back in versus fiber to help with um, bowels. Never thought I would say that on this <laughs> podcast, but there you go. Uh, he also mentioned 
Sean O'Mara, Dr. Sean O'Mara out of Minnesota, who uh, I'll put his link in the show notes as well, who's talking about visceral fat directly related to metabolic health and how the best results came out of uh, intensity with exercise, but also the carnivore diet with he does with fermented vegetables. And again, please, please, please go watch the low carb down under video with Dr. Chafee. Plants are trying to kill you at the talk he did. I believe he was in California when he did that. I'm not, I'm not exactly positive. Thank you so much to Dr. Anthony Chafee for, you know, being on the podcast. He He's really something, isn't he? He's really, uh, he's really great. All that to say, what a fantastic uh, guest, topic, and person. He's really a great guy. Real special to have him on this podcast. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did, or even a smidge, or your curiosity was piqued, or you're thinking differently. I um, I hope all those things happen. So on that note, have a great day. You have been listening to the Charging Up Leadership Podcast, and I am your host, Heidi Fry, charged up, plugged in, and sending you energy, light, and love. Find me at HeidiFry.com. And don't forget to check out my book, The Light Switch, available on Amazon, in your local bookstores, or on my website. The Charging Up Leadership Podcast is created, hosted, and produced by Heidi Fry. Theme music is by Yevchen Anoichenko from Pixabay.